Everything on the podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing I say is meant to treat or diagnose, or it's not even advice for you to follow. So remember, when you're listening to the podcast, I am a doctor. I'm just not your doctor. Thanks for doing this. You're welcome. So I was talking to Ashley just the other day, and I was thinking it has been 13 years since we've seen each other. Yeah, it's been a while. (laughs) Your brother a lot on TV. I know he he makes it on the TV a little bit more than I do. He does. Yeah. There's an there's an oral surgeon that's in the same building as me, and he walked by and he just barely found out that my brother plays football, and he just he said, "Oh, I just found out your brother's famous." I'm like, "Yeah," but he had to go and one up me. He's like, yeah. "Dude, more like two up you." I'm just like, "Thanks, man." Like, <laughs> yeah, what am I gonna do? I I can never compete against that. My schedule lately has been less than pleasant. My wife is is thrilled with how much hours I've been putting in lately. <laughs> It's good for the bank account, though, right? Not for the sanity, though. The sanity is, <laughs> is definitely wearing thin, especially how situations in the current state of the ER has been. What's been going on? So pre-COVID, it was one of the best hospitals in the division. Fantastic metrics, great patient satisfaction. I felt like the patients were really getting the care they deserved. We were seeing like 120 to 140 patients a day pre-COVID. COVID hit, we dropped down to pretty much 35 to 40 patients a day depending on it varied, but the acuity was very high. A lot of it was respiratory Mm -hmm. stuff, cardiac arrest, you know, family members who didn't see another family member for a while, going to check on them and they're unresponsive. So the acuity was very high. We ended up a ton of our nurses got furloughed because of the volume, like productivity. Nobody could meet it. We had to cut doc hours, nursing hours. But the ones that were furloughed were all of our veterans that were doing just PRN that kind of cut mm-hmm. hours back because our kids were in school. They had a life mm-hmm. but they cut back, but we got rid of the 10 to 15 year veterans that were just the phenomenal nurses that they asked you, Hey, Carly, I need you. You got up and like dove over the desk and ran down the hallway. So after COVID, when it finally started slowing down, we had to start refilling those positions. So it went from, I don't know if you remember when I was a resident, you didn't work in the ER and the ICU unless you had five years of minimum Mm -hmm. experience. Now we're getting fresh out of nursing school, have barely put in IVs, are running ERs. And now as the volume has trickled back up, the acuity is still there. You have brand new baby nurses coming out of school that are trying to take care of very high acuity patients, very sick. And Lately, the way that the ER has been, the hospital's at complete capacity, right? We So the ER ends up holding. Mm-hmm. So just to give you an example, a week and a half ago on Monday, we had 38 holds and a total of 70, 72 patients in the ER, and we only have 24 wow. beds. Jeez. So I had, so we basically have the back half of the ER is double occupancy in these really tiny rooms with the glass screen between two beds. And then the front half of the ER is the active ER where we're seeing new patients. And then the rest of the people are actually in chairs in a hallway, like just lining the main hallway. There's just a bunch of recliners that go down the whole hall and they were all filled. I mean, we have people sitting in the ER for days in recliners. There's just nowhere to put them. If you That's get a psychiatrist, yeah. yeah, if you get a psychiatric patient, especially a child, they could be there for a week. There's just no place for them to go. I was just thinking, I just saw a study just yesterday where even 24 hour hold in the ER for somebody that's supposed to be admitted has a very noticeable and measurable increase in, increase in mortality. 
And that's yeah. just like, yeah, you're supposed to get admitted. And if it's like more than that 24 hour window mm -hmm. and you're just still staying there, like it's noticeable versus the got people that get admitted, which is crazy. Yeah. It's been very challenging mentally, physically, just trying to do that in day in and day out, no, going into work every day, knowing you're just going to get beat up between docs and mid-levels, APCs and, and nurse practitioners. We've probably lost over 40 people that have just quit or left in the last three years, three and a half years. That's, Unfortunately, I don't uh, see a fix anytime <laughs> soon. Yeah. Like you said, it's just, we've got rid of everybody that was competent. And then even the people are trying to train don't stick around because they're just getting yeah. destroyed everybody has less training, less experience than they used to. And then these new people come in and they're just not qualified to fill those positions. And so they get burned out really quickly because they didn't get to build those skills. Like you said, like, usually it takes you five years before you could even be considered to be an ICU nurse. And then yeah, fresh grads go straight into the ICU, which is just nuts. That's the, yeah, yeah the overwhelm I can see is cause it's not like they wouldn't get there over time but to throw somebody in the deep end and not yeah, yeah. allow them to like wade in is just, it seems really unfair and yeah. a totally a reason why someone would be like, I can't do this. How do you expect me to do this when I haven't been trained? And also there's nobody to train me right now. Nobody, yeah. cause every, there's a fire everywhere. So yeah. no one can stop. Well, and, and, you're getting out, and the right? people training are people that have one year of experience. Yeah. There's yeah. somebody that's been there for 15 years teaching you higher level mm -hmm. things and you get somebody that's just trained for a year and they barely know what they're talking about mm -hmm. they're training you and of course things fall through the cracks so yeah we we still have pretty substantial nursing turnover part of the issue too is they're doing the hold sort of medicine and that's inpatient medicine and then mid-shift they get moved to another section to try to fix where we're short and then they have to switch to the emergency medicine style of mm -hmm. things so you go from, okay, here's your daily medications. I'll get you your food. It's coming soon to them. That quick thinking rapid triage is a sick or not sick ER mentality. It's a very hard transition, especially if you've only been out of nursing school for six months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then so, doctor shortages as well as not helped. We're seeing that too. Like right now to see a GI specialist is like six to eight weeks. Mm -hmm. So we're getting an influx of people who can't get into specialists that just come to the ER. Or their primary care doctors like i can't see you today just go to the er so it's you're bombarded constantly with even outpatient workups that you can't do anything about but you still have to see the patients yeah i didn't even think about that so we try to get people in as quick as possible but if you can't see the specialist and you're sick where are you going to go yeah. straight to the er yeah which is just yeah it's a bummer that's not the stuff we really focus on most of the time on the podcast we're more like story oriented so we're more yeah. we're trying to inspire people to stay in Medicine because of what you're talking about though. That's the thing is like, there's so much talk about we don't want burn out this, burn out that. And it's like, oh, don't let's, and there's enough of it. Let's just like lift where we stand a thing. And usually the yeah. thing that makes people remember why they got into it are these patients or these stories or these, the funny things that happen to them on the job, things like that. So maybe. Maybe yeah. it'll help somebody stay because we need them so bad. Or at least get interested in medicine to begin with. And yeah. Like people watch all the medical dramas, but I think some of the stuff we see in reality is much more interesting. I don't even think this story is from you, but I remember you told me a story about, I think one of your other residents that was in the ER had a patient come in for a pelvic exam and they went to do the pelvic exam because this lady came in with an odor and they happen to see something growing inside the inside the vagina. I don't know if you recall that story at all. I remember. Which one? So, yeah. 
I'm, pre I'm pretty sure it was you, but it wasn't your personal story, but it ended up like this lady put a potato up there like a week ago and totally forgot that she put a potato up there. And then the ER resident looked in there and said, it looks like a potato. And she said, uh, oh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. It's like, how do you forget about a potato up there? So. Fairly, I've had so many foreign bodies in offices <laughs> since residency that they all blend together. Is there one foreign body that is stuck out more than the others? Yes, figuratively, not not, not literally sticking out, but figuratively sticking out. So I did have, and I actually have an X-ray on my phone, which I, is HIPAA compliant. There is a lock on the phone. I had a, a gentleman that came in complaining of rectal pain, and usually when you see like a, a twenty year old complaining of rectal pain, your mind just goes into a hundred different directions. And it was rightfully. After the nurse left, he finally was not as embarrassed to reveal the story. So him and his his friends were playing uh, beer pong. And every time you lost, you had to stick the ping pong ball in, in your butt. So basically, he came in after the seventh ping pong ball. My God. Because he, he couldn't get them out anymore. That was like my second patient of the morning. I'm like, this is not how I need to start my day. He had seven up. He had the seven up. Oh, there. seven. 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 X-ray is phenomenal. You think you'd give it's up like, after the third one? You're like, you know what? I'm not having a good game. I quit. Yeah. So I, I that was the conversation I had with General Surgery, who you can imagine was like a, a retired veteran who's very old school. And when I started telling him the story, he's okay. Stop. He's like, so number one. He agreed to this. And he's number two. After you lose the first time, most people will be like, you know what? We I, I should try a different sport, not this one. But seven times he was like, I, I just can't. And he literally walked into the room and I remember hearing him come down the hallway and he opens the door, not even introducing himself. He was like, what were you thinking? Like that was his introduction. What was another good? Oh, the other good foreign body one I had was a, a couple were trying to use beads, but their own home makeshift version where they tied golf balls together. <laughs> And the string broke. And oh, so I had to call the surgeon, of course, again, first patient of the day. I tell him and he's cursing me up and down. He's really, you really couldn't wait until eight when we change shifts at 8 a.m. He's this is what you're going to give me as my last <laughs> patient of the morning. I'm like, yep, happy Monday. So I get a call from the OR like an hour and a half later. He's, you play golf, right? I'm like, yeah. He's, do you play with Titleist? I'm like, no, mm -mm, don't bring that back here to my desk. <laughs> He's like, all right, I'm just going to throw this out then. I'm like, this is, these are the ridiculous <laughs> conversations that we have that if patients only knew what goes on. But I do have x-rays of that one too. I still have a lot of x-rays. Yeah. Homemade okay. anal beads. Come on. Just go online, order them the next day shipping. Can't imagine they're cheaper than Titleist. <laughs> the cost comparison. Yeah. Cost comparison. They're probably yeah. very comparable. Or the surgery comparison that you have to undergo to right. get them back. Yes. Not to mention <laughs> the surgery. Oh my yeah. gosh. I well, can just the imagine these surgeons being like, I do not have time for the shenanigans. What yeah. were you doing? Just this beer pong situation to me just right. me. But that last hour of being on call as the surgeon though, we're looking at that clock. Like when my, our shifts end at 7 a.m., mm -hmm. like the 7 a.m. is the turn of a time. So every time it's at 6.59, I'm just holding my breath for that last minute. Mm -hmm. And then it hits seven. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, made it. I, I, for, Unfortunately, this surgeon, it, it's always him every time I call him for these foreign body <laughs> retrievals. And he's gotten very frustrated with me multiple times. He's like, I think you do this on purpose. He's like, you wait, <laughs> you look at the schedule 
and you purposely just call me to come and get these out. It's he like, probably has I a mean, nickname for you that he does not say to your face. I'm sure he's got <laughs> something. Well, just tell him he's really good at it. So you want his pa your patients to have the best foreign body retrieval surgeon out there. Yeah, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> I don't. I don't think spelunking was part of his his daily routine. <laughs> but he's a good uh, sport about it. He, he he always calls me and, and tells me what he finds. But yeah, I've I've never looked at ping pong the same ever since. Yeah, ping pong or golf now. Yeah, yeah. My kids ask for like a ping pong table when you're like, no, let's get, let's get a basketball net. Let's try something different. <laughs> let's get something a little too big to put up the anus. You know, I'm looking yeah. for a larger ball. So like in the eye world, we always, we hate anything smaller than a tennis ball. The racket balls will just destroy yeah. an eyeball. So it's just uh -huh. fit inside the orbital rim. It just destroyed the eye. So tennis and bigger, we're like, okay, great. But then we get into basketball. We hate basketball because then people are always looking up and they're reaching high. And so they uh -huh. keep poking each other in the eyeballs. There you go. And yeah, like somewhere between a racquetball and a, a basketball, that's the money zone for eye doctors. We're just like, all right, we're, we're, you're safe. Yeah. That's good to know. <laughs> keep that in mind. <laughs> Pick your sports appropriately. Yeah. The crazy thing is basketball is the number one sport for eye injuries. Oh, I, could, I believe that. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess like, I'm not a big fan of wearing safety glasses everywhere. Maybe on the sport court, you just, you get those sweet old glasses, sweet, those sport Dr. glasses with the, them? with the little, with that little thing that keeps them behind your head. Yeah. Didn't Dr. J have some sweet ones back in the Maybe. day? I, <laughs> he did. I, the did streamlined he? ones. Yeah. He did. Yeah. yeah. Be, Suckers be, were like. Be cool like Dr. J. Yeah. yeah. They were like molded to his head. That was. We've had a lot of orbital injuries lately. A lot of people are trying to do it themselves, fix it themselves try the cheaper route and it's just not going very well no yeah it's mm -hmm. not a great idea like no. home, home, home medicine is fraught with a lot of errors and issues we had an episode not too long ago where some lady tried to lance an abscess without coming into the hospital on her leg and had given necrotizing fasciitis and ended up passing away which if she just went to the doctor she would have just had it lanced appropriately appropriate antibiotics and she would have been fine but decided to do something at home and things went a horrible direction. Yeah, that's, yeah, we, we've seen that a lot. I get a lot of my tried fixing. No, don't, please don't do that. Yeah. I had this one patient where he'd gotten multiple metallic form bodies in his cornea over the years because he's an auto mechanic or a welder or something like that. And so he got so sick of going to the eye doctor, the ER to get it taken care of it. He told his wife, it's so easy. They just like grab a needle and flick it out of the cornea. Like you just do it for me. And so she goes and tries to flick out this piece of metal from his cornea and just stabs it right through the cornea oh. into the lens of the eye. And then he needs emergency surgery. Imagine that, yeah. like you have no training. And then that was a much bigger bill than going in and just having some oh, yeah. skill. And even me, like ER doctors call me all the time. They're like, hey man, like this corneal form body, we can't get it out. We've tried forever. And I can, there's never been a time where it takes me more than five seconds. And they're like, why was the ER doctor like taking so long or why was it so easy for you? It's because I only have to know this much. ER doctors have to know the whole breadth of medicine. Yeah. Like me taking something out of the cornea, that's bread and butter. That's like step, you know, like one for me on like a bunch of things, but I'm lucky. I, I have to take care of this part of the body. That's it. Yeah. That's all I do. Yeah. I don't think people realize how complicated some of the stuff is that we do though. A simple foreign body in the eye. It's not really that simple. No, there's a lot of skill and there's a lot to know about getting it out or even what you should take out. You can look at yeah. it and be, if you're wrong about the depth, 
you could take it out and then have an open globe and then once yep. again, emergency surgery that you didn't want to have. That, and I think the environment too, right? Like your office is usually a calm, oh, yeah. quiet, dark place. <laughs> the ER hallway is really not the best place to be removing foreign bodies. Well, and your slit lamps aren't great when you could even find a slit lamp in the ER. Like every time. Yeah, yeah, they're all broken. broken for six months. They're, it's like, always broken. So even somebody like myself, yeah. it's hard to do it right in the yeah. ER. And yeah, you guys have nothing but my respect because you have to see everything. You're putting in a chest tube one minute, then you're like taking out a corneal horn body. And then you have to know about random diseases and ask somebody if they traveled to a weird foreign country recently. <laughs> I don't it's have true. to do any of that stuff. It's true. Yeah, no. now that people are traveling again, that's actually been on a rise. I've had a few people come back last this past week, Korea, Africa, Australia, they're just coming in from all different countries. And you're like, this just changes the game now that you have a fever. Wow. This is awesome. <laughs> it's going to be a little bit more than flu and RSV. Okay. Let me call infectious disease and we'll, we'll try to sort through this. And then it's difficult because yeah, they were on a plane too. So yeah. it could yeah. just be the flu or RSV or COVID, but also, yeah, like you said, they came from Korea and what were they exposed to there? Who knows? Yeah. It, it makes it very complicated unfortunately but yeah. thankfully we i have a lot of resources where i work pediatrics we don't admit we send that out any serious orbital trauma or trauma we send to our sister facilities but we are a neuro center we're a cancer center we're geriatric centers we have a 33 percent admission rate which is very high our patients are unfortunately very complicated and very sick our doctors you guys are the doctor that if anybody is ever anywhere in life and says I need a doctor. If you're on a plane, if you're in a stadium, if you're anywhere and somebody says, is there a doctor here? They yeah. want you. They don't want me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's happened a few times. All my kids coaches love the fact that like the ER doctors at the game, we actually had, there was an unfortunate or devastating situation where a kid got hit in the chest. My son plays baseball and a kid got hit in the chest and ended up dying because no one knew what to do. Um, so this was last year. So this year I actually went out and I bought a portable AED now that comes with us to games and I'm still have to put it together because I just got it. But yeah, I'm going to teach the kids how to use it and make sure everybody knows. And especially since my mother-in-law watches our kids when we're not home or working and God forbid something happens, it's five steps. I have a, a soon to be 10 next week and a seven-year-old, they can easily follow these five steps and just, and it, it talks to you, it tells you what to do. But yeah, it's, I have been in those situations where they're like, is there a doctor around I don't know who the physicians are? Cause everyone just puts their head down, starts shaking their head. <laughs> Should have took the earlier flight. Um, now, I've never had the plane situation. Like I've been first on the scene to three different car accidents. I have had somebody go down in front of me at a concert and taking care of them. So I find myself in these situations fairly commonly, but never yeah. on a plane. What's the most unique or like most interesting time where you were just not in the hospital where all of a sudden you had to put your doctor hat on and, and go to work? I've had the chest pain on a plane <laughs> that we had an emergency landing. That was right after residency. A lot of them pretty much though have been personal. I've had my son slip in the kitchen and split his face open. And I sutured him in the spare bedroom. Every surf trip we'd go on, I bring a first aid kit. My cousin actually the fin on the surfboard cut the back of his heel, almost cutting his Achilles tendon. So I sutured him up in the parking lot on our surf trip. And then we wrapped his whole foot in duct tape. And I'm like, we just got here. You're going back in and you're flying home, but we've only been here for an hour. So either this works or you're just going to watch. I'm going back in the water. Uh, 
But yeah, we've, and the neighborhood now that I live in a few doors down is a plastic surgeon and anesthesiologist. He's come over. I have my own supplies. I have like my own doomsday bag. I have, I could pretty much do surgery in the garage if I had to. Yeah, um, I have that kit. I have that kit yep, too. I, I could probably do an appendectomy yep. if I needed to. Mostly it's just teenagers and kids that get in, they trip on the concrete or they like get a, sh they, they go boating and there's a zebra and muscle that cuts their yeah, leg. They or catch something an elbow like so, to the face during basketball. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like I, I have kids always on my kitchen table or on my counter or I'm just sewing mm -hmm. them up and I'm really grateful because in our friend group, there's an ER doctor. So he gets to deal with all the infections and the ears and he loves it because then he's just like, if anybody needs to be sewn up, he's like, hey, just call Dave. Like, he'll sew you up. So, it's a yeah, tag team effort. I'm, I'm the sew up friend, and he is the other, <laughs> everything is not sewing Internal up. friend. <laughs> yeah. I put a lot of fingers back in place, shoulder one time. Joint, the joints, if you get them right away, are usually a little easier. But otherwise, like the accident stuff, you, you pull up there and you just make sure no one is dying. And after that, you're, oh, all right, I got to go. Ambulance is here. Bye. And you just <laughs> you, you get out of there. You think back, we asked you to think about some stories before mm -hmm. coming on. What are the stories that you thought about uh, that really have stuck with you? There's a few. I had some in residency that were, you just don't forget. I had a young girl that came in a cardiac arrest. She ended up having myocarditis. She actually got two heart transplants in six months because she actually coded twice in the ER. We got her back after two hours of trying to resuscitate her. She ended up going up to the PICU. They found out she had myocarditis. She was in the hospital for three months, got a heart transplant. A month out of the hospital, got an infection mm. and arrested again. And I coded her again the second time that she came back you were, in. You were the same, like, the you same doc worked on, twice. Wow. It was like, an, like, I heard the name and I was like, why do I know that name? And then I saw her mom and I was like, oh, this is not good. And then she ended up getting a second heart transplant and then ended up graduating high school. Wow. Which was amazing. She was in the hospital for almost two years. And that, that must feel amazing though. It's terrifying in the moment to work on somebody that long and to code somebody twice. Like the numbers are just against you. And then to see her come back, get the transplant, go on and live her life. Wow. That's amazing. Especially kids. The kids now having my own kids are different. I've had to uh, code unsuccessfully, unfortunately, a kid that had the same name as my son. So that was unbelievably difficult, but then there's been good stuff. It's not always awful endings. I've changed the way I, I practice emergency medicine in the last 10 years. Like when I run a code, I have the family watch. I invite whoever's there to come in. I want them to see what real CPR is, but it's not like Grey's Anatomy where, oh, you push on their heart twice. They wake up. I love you. It's not, that's not reality. Mm -hmm. So I invite all the families in, whether it's a child, a grandmother, whoever it is that we're resuscitating, whoever's there with them, I make them watch. I at least want them apart and see what it is that we're doing. Because I don't think a lot of people realize how brutal resuscitating somebody actually is. And a lot of well, times I found they, mm -hmm. they ask us to stop. Yeah. Especially if they're older. They're like, please stop. I, the mom, this is not what my mom wanted or my grandmother wanted. And they see how much effort it goes that goes into and it. how it's many not people. And how mm -hmm. many people, and they know that you guys gave it your all. If they don't see it, they always have this question, was everything done? If, if you see a code and you see how hard we're all trying in yeah. those situations and how much goes into it, the medicine, yeah. the monitors, the CPR, it's like, we, we give it everything we have with modern medicine. We just, we have our limits, unfortunately. Yeah. And how fast everything really is. 
I started actually after COVID, I was really burned out. I'm still burned out, but I, I started doing hospice and I actually am a hospice medical director for multiple care sites now. And that has probably been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. I had to put both my parents on hospice. Uh, both my parents have passed. My mom died in 2017 from a stroke, intracranial hemorrhage. She had advanced dementia and fell, had a huge head bleed and died five days later. My dad died of COVID during COVID. So I was looking for something different. And one of my good friends was doing hospice and palliative. And she's you really, with your experience in doing this in the ER, especially after COVID, she's just maybe something you, want, you should look into, have, and it's, it's been awesome. Emergency medicine, you're always dealing with a stranger from the beginning. You don't see the end result part, right? Like you either admit them to a specialist to the hospice and they're gone. Like occasionally you'll follow somebody that you're really curious about. For the most part, though, you don't really know the long-term outcome. So being on the other side of that, where you're helping them accept their fate and make it a painless as possible process for both them and their family has been really nice. I've been doing house calls. I do home consults and go see patients. But it's been a very enjoyable experience. One of my patients who passed away not too long ago, I went to her house and was just adjusting some medicine. And we watched the little rascals in black and white for 45 minutes. That was my day. And that was, it was awesome. Like, I haven't watched this since I was a kid with my grandparents. And we just sat in this little tiny house and just watched little rascals. She was laughing and made some medicine adjustments, gave her a hug and, and left. And she died two weeks later, peacefully. That's yeah. been really rewarding. And it's a different pace. You go at your own pace. You actually get to go see the patients, spend time with them. It's not crazy environment. Even the ones that are inpatient in the hospitals, we, we have two patients right now, currently you go and you sit with the families and just talk to them, get to know the patient, a complete stranger who I knew nothing about, but yet I'm going to help transition and you help the family too. And they, they've been very nice. Like I've gotten a lot of great feedback from the families. And it's nice to hear that as awful as the situation was, it was a very pleasant experience for the patient and for them. Yeah. From the outside, it looks like that'd be harder to deal with because everybody on hospice is really that close to death and you're going to lose all of those patients to death. But in some ways, the way you describe it makes it seem much more peaceful. And it seems like your goals are a little bit more defined. You're not really there to stop the disease or to do anything but be there and to take their pain away and just to support them. So in some ways it sounds bad because you're dealing with so much death, but on the other side, it seems like you have just the time with these people and you have very clear objectives. And um, it sounds like you meet those objectives. You give them pain relief and you give them comfort and love. And that, that sounds amazing. Actually, we're probably going to need more and more as the baby boomers get older because yeah this generation and that area of medicine is probably crying for more attention too. So it's nice to hear that it's been enjoyable and that it means so much, not only to the, the patients, but to the families who are going to have the patients because so most of our parents are, you know, baby movers kind of at the, the lower end of that, but. Yeah. Some of the stories I've had patients who are 103, 104 years old. Wow. So to hear some of their stories is just mind blowing them telling you when they were kids and cars weren't around yet. You're hearing these stories and then they've lived through all these wars and depression and poverty, and they now have 37 grandchildren. It's, it's crazy when you listen to all the stuff that these people have been through and it makes you feel lazy. You're like, wow, I haven't really <laughs> done 
anything. <laughs> and I complain when someone ate my last bagel, like you live through the depression. Like, this is, <laughs> this is, wow. I need to adjust my thoughts on things, but yeah, it's been really awesome. It's been a nice change of pace from hospital ER and politics and chaos. Politics and chaos. We could all do with a little less a little of both less. of those things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the one question I think most ER docs hate is like, what's the craziest, worst thing you've ever seen? Like, I hate that question <laughs> like, <laughs> without a passion. Like when people ask that and my wife is around, she walks away. She's out oh, shit. No, don't, don't do that. Please, please, please don't ask him that one. Cause it, it, it is, that's like asking a war veteran, what's the worst thing you've ever, you, you don't want to know like yeah, the horrible stuff. Yeah. That, that we get to see, like the funny stuff, the foreign body stuff is always comical or the, you have the guy in the hospital and his girlfriend's there and his wife shows up and then it's oh great. Now this is gonna be like a show of Maury, like where they're going to start fighting in the hallway. <laughs> you have those, you know, I, one of them that came to mind is that there's still, or was a few years ago, a strip club, not too far from where we work. And. I got signed out from the night doc that was, it was a fall and I'm like, okay, all right, this shouldn't be too bad. It's the first patient of the day. Oh, it's always the first patient of the day. This is how your day starts. <laughs> and I walk in there and she's in a bathing suit, like a bikini and it's winter time outside. I'm like, what is happening? She's got an ice pack on her head, a huge heat in the toma. And she just starts screaming that the girl before her lubed up the pole too much and she did her thing and slammed <laughs> her head and knocked her out cold. And she's like, you have to testify in court. She used too much lube. I'm like, I, there is no way that I am ever going to sit in front of a judge and say that too much lube was used on anything ever. This, oh that's gosh. just not ever going to happen. And on it, it's some, some of the kid stuff is really funny. Like you get, we see a lot of strep and a lot of earaches and a lot of just ridiculous things. And somehow it always circles back to foreign bodies, but. Mom brought her daughter in, her little three-year-old, saying she was peeing rainbows. And I'm like, that, that was the chief complaint, peeing rainbows. rainbows. What? <laughs> I'm like, I even looked on up to date. I'm like, am I missing something? Is there something I didn't learn? It was that day in medical school, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Correct. But apparently when you put Skittles in certain places and then you pee, it pees a rainbow. I was like, wow, oh, this is a new one. So I actually had to transfer this kid to the pediatric hospital because we needed like, I'm not going to get that on a three-year-old. Like, you're ready. Right, Absolutely. Skittlectomy. Yeah. yeah, no, I am not ruining this girl's world. Stick a poor redhead about to just change her life. No. Uh -uh. She's, she's going to the operating room and someone else is going to do that. But yeah, so apparently if you didn't know, if you want to pee rainbows, it's, it just requires Skittles. <laughs> Kids are rad. Yeah. I've never really thought about that before. I've never asked directly what's your worst moment in medicine or what's your worst day but no. yeah people don't want to know because there's days where i'll come home and i'll tell ashley just today was just hard there's this suicides and abuse and alcohol and you just see things that humans shouldn't see and so yeah. it's like part of it too is just like, yeah we have to deal with it i've started to talk a little bit more about that with just ashley just the surface level stuff just so i because i was built i was building it up all inside because i just didn't want to tell anybody these things and then it started to mess me up a little bit just because you're not supposed to deal with these things. Like some of these things aren't normal. So I start telling little bits of that stuff, but not the actual details because it's traumatic. You don't want, you don't want to have that picture in your head of bullet holes. And you don't want to hear that story of somebody that was the spouse that was obviously abused 
that's not going to file anything and you just have to send her out the door with her abuser. And like, th those stories suck. Yeah. And we, we try to get people like a look at medicine. So we, we share some scary or some silly or funny like stories, but we tend to not put out most of those horrendous ones because they're just, it's sad. That's what humanity is sometimes. But yeah, but also it's continually actually asking this question, which people always have in medicine. We're always asking each other, is that normal? Is this normal? Yeah. And a lot of, if you have an ailment, you want to know whether or not it's normal. And when you go through, when you're in a line of work and you only know what you know, you don't know things are abnormal until it's exposed. Yeah. So a lot of, some of the things that we talk about are the abnormality of what you see every day, how that's actually not normal. And it's okay for you to say, this isn't normal and I need help dealing with what I'm seeing or what, what this has done to me and on my in, the inside. So it's always a continual question. Is this normal? We're looking at our lives going, that's not normal. That's yeah. not normal. Even yeah. like having kids and our schedule and the fact that we take two cars, a lot of places, or the yeah. fact that we schedule vacations the way we do, or we're not able to attend X, Y, Z it's yeah. Some of it's not normal, but it's our normal. Yeah. And that, and that's the hard part, right? Especially in the ER, you go from one room where someone just died to the next room where someone needs a work note to the next room that someone needs stitches mm -hmm. to the next room, which is a stroke. Like you have to be able to switch off so quickly in the matter of steps to represent yourself, regardless of what just happened like 15 minutes ago. And it is crazy because, you know, you try to turn that off on the way home and sometimes you do, sometimes you can't. And my, my wife and I, there's days where we butt heads where she's, you're in a terrible mood. What I'm just like, I don't want to talk about it. Like you just, you don't want to relive that and bring that negativity home. Mm -hmm. You want to just dump it outside and leave it there. And yeah, our normal is not everybody's normal. It's between my wife, me and my mother-in-law, we have a schedule of who's picking up somebody where, what day of the week, who has tests, what do we, mm -hmm. are, we have this giant calendar and it looks like a Jack and Pollock painting, like just <laughs> written all over the place. And anybody like would look at that and be like, what is that? And you're just like, yeah, that's Tuesday. I don't, what, what's the confusion? Yeah. You know, and our yeah. kids now play travel sports and tons of different sports that we're constantly driving all over. And everything's always at the same time. Nothing is ever a separate time. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of, all right, who's picking up and then who's dropping off and wait, I'm bringing home which kid and wait, where do I live? What am I supposed to be doing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. there's always that the famous million dollar question: What are we eating for dinner? That's, that's yeah the, the million dollar question. Yep. Yeah, and that's a very secondary. Like I know Ashley has to deal with it a lot more than I do because like I'll, I'll be like, when she when you come home, it's an OR day, so sometime between five and seven p.m. I don't know. Like, yeah. okay. Are you going to be able to help drive? I don't know. Done on time, yes, but surgery is surgery, and even clinics sometimes things happen, and I get stuck there late. So even yeah. our lovely schedules don't happen like even if we draw it up we're like you're going to be here you're going to be here this is what you know we're doing it doesn't happen half the time i've even no. stopped telling her what time i'm going to be home most of the time i just like mm -hmm. i will tell her like i wouldn't even say like it looks like i'm wrapping up i'm about to come home i won't I even tell her That's i won't even tell is. her until i'm in the car if i'm yeah. in the car driving and i'm physically left i'll say i'm on my way but every time i said hey i'll be out of here in about 15 minutes Two hours later, I'm like, hey, yeah. babe. Yeah. She's like, yeah, a lot I of, figured that out. Yeah. And I know you're not home. A lot of times, Lindsay will be like, what time are you supposed to get out today? I'm like, four. 
but we'll see. You know, yes, it's, exactly. It's, a, it's an SLA. If everything goes, yeah, it's suggestions. suggestions. <laughs> it's fine. Of course, it's always okay. The kids have to be the same place at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they hang out and wait yeah. for one parent to just get done, well, and, and sometimes they're late yeah. to practice. Sometimes that just happens. Like it happens. Just tell the coach, like, hey, man. Saving lives over here. Like, Sorry, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> my son had no chance. Like he did. I got. Yes, I know he's late. I know he's supposed to run some laps, whatever. But it's, look, this is the best we can do. Yeah, it's not his fault. Let's not take yeah. it out on the child. He can't <laughs> drive himself to soccer practice. Like sorry. exactly. <laughs> he would have been there on time if he didn't have to deal with his parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'd be fine if he was driving at seven. So like, yes. Let's but... just let it go. This is what it is. Thank you, Charlie, for coming on. Like no, I said, you're, welcome, man. you're one of the first people I thought about when I started the podcast. I appreciate you doing it for no, me. Now these these are fun. I've I've done a few for with the EMS guys, and that one gets a little more vulgar when you have a bunch of firemen. So no, it's fun, and you get to hear, especially when it's national, right? Like you get to hear everybody's perspective from all of the United States, and it's oh wow, everybody is living through the same thing. Of course, not... we're all in it together. Yeah, yeah. Before you go, I gotta know. Did that stripper file a workplace, like a compensation, like a? He probably doesn't even know because like no. she left the ER and then she I just had to send it to occupational health. I had there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I knew he it. had a good. I so I I literally had to call <laughs> occupational health for that at seven forty five in the morning with her concussion from too much okay. lube, okay. and she had to go to their office and she was going to fill out all the papers. She had like a legit. It was an enormous hematoma and she definitely had a concussion kept repeating herself, wasn't really sure what was going on. I mean, she hit her head really hard. Thankfully, no cervical injury or anything like that. But sure. yeah, I mean, it it was an impressive injury. Like when she took the ice pack off, it was one of those where you're like, oh, like I didn't expect <laughs> that when you moved. That's, that's actually, that's huge. That's, that looks like it hurts. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's bad. Okay, uh, but yeah, it was, yeah. It's a worker's comp injury. You don't think about OSHA being in strip clubs, but their businesses, I'm OSHA probably goes in and yep. make sure they're safe working conditions, just like every, everything else. Yep. Just had to know. Yeah. I'm just happy I didn't get called to any subpoena for <laughs> the stripper pole incident. Cause I, there's no way I was going to keep a straight face. Yeah. Like now doctor, point. can you please comment on the amount of lube that's appropriate for a strip stripper pole? <laughs> Yeah. Apparently too much that they used. I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't. <laughs> what do I say? Once again, I missed that day in medical school. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the volume of lube per square inch of stripper pole. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those that would, it, it's a good laugh every now and again. Keeps you going. Yeah. Yeah. Those fun stories keep us going too. It's the thank yous and the funny stories mm -hmm. that usually make it worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. Talk right. to you later. All right, guys. Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Dr. Dave. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please rate, review, and share this episode so that we can continue to get you more stories in the future.